At the beginning of this month, uh, during prayer set, I uh, saw an image of Jesus with bolt cutters, and there was a really big, thick chain. Um, it then had, I don't know if it was cut, and I can't remember exactly now, but um, it then had lots of tiny little jewelry-sized chains that were easy to snap. Um, and when I asked what this was about, he told me that religion, he just said one word, religion, and he freed me, and I knew that's what he was doing at that time. I didn't feel a particular rush or anything. It was just a quick image, and he was just breaking some chains. Um, and then right after he, he uh, said religion, I saw a wobbly angel, um, like drunken, which was kind of <laughs> an affront <laughs> to my... Um, it was a... It was a not comfortable thing to see, not comfortable thing to imagine. And I thought of wine being poured out, and I heard, are you willing to let me pour out my wine? And then he gave me uh, a date. And um, he said March 24, and it wasn't until I realized later that the 24 could be the day or the year. I wasn't used to thinking of this as 2024 yet. It was right at the beginning of the month. But he said March 24, so I'm um, believing into that. Um, when I asked just today, I was like, Lord, I, before I say a date <laughs> of something, I'm not fully understanding even what you're releasing. Um, I, I would like some confirmation, please. <laughs> And he brought me to a Matthew 24. You can turn there. I didn't have it in my notes initially, but just this morning. Um, so Matthew 24. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It is my temptation to read all the scripture in my house. David and I joke, and he'll say, and today brought to you the entirety of scripture with a few excerpts from all of the Old Testament and paraphrasing of Paul. Here we go. So I will try not to read the entire Bible at you. But I did read through it. So this is something, if you want to take, you don't have to take homework. But if you want to take homework, I will be spending a little time in Matthew 24. Um, this is the part where Jesus predicts, I have headlines, so right, predicts the destruction of the temple, signs in the times, and the end of the age. And specifically in 9, there they will deliver you up for tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness, all the nations, and then the end will come. It talks about the great tribulation and the coming of the Son of Man. The parable of the fig tree and no one knowing the day or the hour. These are just my headlines. Of course, I'm just reminding you so that when we read it together, if you read it together, you can 
know that March 24th, whatever, March 2024, um, that this was the chapter I felt like he gave to me. Um, and going to 45, I just wanted to read this section too. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come in an hour when he is not looking for him and an hour that he's not aware of, and he will cut him into two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, um, the first mention of wine in the Bible is Genesis 9, 20. And this is the story of, of Noah. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard, and then he drank of the wine and was drunk, became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness so Noah awoke from his wine and knew that his younger, what his younger son had done to him and then he said cursed be Canaan servant of servants he shall be his he shall be to his brethren and he said blessed be the Lord God of Shem and may Canaan be his servant may God enlarge Japheth and may he dwell in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be his servant Um, so what I felt like the Lord was showing me was that wine is exposing. Um, it can be very exposing when the Lord pours out his spirit and we see each other exposed. Um, our job is to cover each other with love. Now, love isn't false. It isn't denying what's really going on. This isn't pretending something isn't there that really is there. It's actually covering it in the way of 1 Corinthians 13, which we know is love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And in this story, love doesn't walk out and tell others, look, someone's exposed. Love walks backward without even looking themselves, knowing the exposure is showing, but covers. And I don't know that we really understand that <laughs> but we will um, in 1 Samuel 1 8 this is the story about Hannah I'm starting at 8 1 Samuel 8, 1 8 when Elkanah her husband said to her then Elkanah her husband said to her so Hannah's been grieving and weeping and 
She wants a child, and she isn't being treated well because she doesn't have one, and she's being tormented. Um, And her husband says to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, and then Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. And now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So in this instance, Hannah was seen as having drunk wine when she really was um, really pouring out her soul before the Lord. And it was confusing in the natural. It looked one way, but it was really another. She was being seen as undignified. Um, Wine is a discomfort-causing thing in others. When people see it, it causes them discomfort. Um, When the Lord pours out his spirit... um, when he, the wine of his spirit, it may cause discomfort in those who are observing confusion. Uh, so that is something to be aware of. It's not clear what's really happening in the heart. In Jeremiah 23.9, it says, my heart was my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. This course of life is evil and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. So in this passage, Jeremiah also talks about being overcome with wine to describe the sorrow and travail that he is feeling, not unlike Hannah. Um, When I... I have it a little later on, but I feel to tell it now. So I, David and I, uh, we experienced a move of the Lord that was referred to as like a pouring out of his wine 
you know, in um, charismatic circles, we touched a, a piece of that move. Um, there were certainly some tears, but I don't think that that's necessarily how it was remembered or described. I'm not sure that the people involved in it, even ourselves, would describe it necessarily as a, a particularly mournful um, move of the Lord. Um, it, um, for us, I, I will tell you just a little of our testimony that we didn't have a charismatic background at all. <laughs> and we ended up in a church, and then uh, we, we ended up at a conference. So there were some manifestations of the Spirit in that church. That was New City, but they were called something else before that. Um, they were called New Wine Christian Fellowship. I'm just remembering it at the moment, which is kind of fun. Uh, and we ended up going to a conference. It was not a wine-pouring-out conference, per se. It was called Father Loves You. They were out of Toronto. They had um, teaching that was really releasing people and the love of the Father and doing some healing there. It was our first conference ever. And um, I remember... We went to the conference, and one of the nights, um, a young woman from our group was watching somebody manifest uh, while trying to speak, and they kept kind of interrupting and doing this kind of um, kind of groaning mid-talk. So they would talk, and it would interrupt them and interrupt them. I mean, that's the best imitation I could do without the Holy Spirit. Um, and she, and it was kind of, it was interruptive. And she was very adamant that first night how she would want any manifestation but that one <laughs> because he can't even get a word in. So you can imagine um, how fun it was the last night when she was manifesting the exact same way and full of so much joy and freedom in a way I'd never seen her. She was released in a complete way. And I tell that because it was the very thing that she resisted. I mean, you know, her personality was resistant to. And she did receive it. She did allow the Lord to move her that way. And then she received so much breakthrough by just following him into what he was doing rather than resisting him. And that same weekend, uh, David and I went to a morning prayer thing, and um, while we're in the meeting, he starts doing that little interrupted kind of bending over thing and kind of would catch his breath and stuff. And I was like sitting next to him going, do you have to do that? What is going on? He's like, I don't know. I was like, can you stop? I think I could, but I don't think I want to. I was like, okay. We were just trying to understand this. We were just so new, and the idea, can you stop that? Yeah. Do you want to? Hmm. No, I don't want to. I want to let the Lord do this, even if it's uncomfortable. Um, so in that move... 
in that conference. I've got some healing. But there was another step that happened later at a different time. Also not a wine conference or whatever. I don't remember what they were called. But um, it was at a uh, prophetic one, a hearing the Lord conference. Um, it was still through um, Toronto. But that one, um, everything from me wanting to know, what does it feel like if you fall out in the spirit? What's that like? Never had had that happen to me before, and they would go through and pray, and they had prayer lines, and then people would fall and fall and fall and fall and fall. <clears throat> and I would think, well, I don't want to make that happen. I was like, but how do they know to fall down and and so, and then, well, I want to be willing. So I'm having this all dialogue in my head as they're coming down the line. And just before they get to me, something happens, and two people crash on each other. And I was like, oh, all that work to try and really focus on the Lord, and it's all gone in an instant. And now I'll never end up on the floor. And when I got up off the floor later, I'd had this huge vision of the Lord. So, and and that's what he spent time doing while I was on the floor. It wasn't. You know, it was it was enjoyable, but he really showed me stuff when I was down there and and stuff. And, and the people that had interrupted and was going to make it so I couldn't connect didn't have anything to do with when it actually the Lord came by and it just happened. And I didn't make it happen. And anyway, that same conference, the Lord took me through what was a little bit more difficult. So for me... Um, Wine or alcohol in my family is a big uh, sort of sore, ouchy part in my heart. Um, I have extended family that are alcoholics. I have people that um, that would just be drunk all the time. I never saw, like, a glass of wine with a meal, you know, uh, except in the movies, which didn't seem believable. The only time people drank was to be intoxicated constantly. That was my reality of, or my awareness of um, exposure to alcohol. And I was angry and scared, and I felt helpless. Wine for me was feeling helpless, things being out of control. Not my immediate family, praise the Lord, because that's a whole different journey. It was my extended family, so grandparents and uncles and stuff like that. And so there's that element that I was struggling with. And so I would get angry. I would get this weird anger I didn't know what to do with. And I would want to, it was a destructive anger. I'd want to break things. Like, like I would see friends in college drink and I would want to break things. And I would be like to the point of tears. I was so angry, just didn't know what to do with this out-of-control feeling. And, and the Lord paired me with a man who never drank, because he is very kind, <laughs> and he helped me there. And then he is also very kind, because then he did an outpouring that looked like wine, and it looked like drunkenness, like people falling over and laughing and kind of super loose and so at this conference which was prophetic and beautiful and there was all these teachings by the end of the conference David had to be poured into the van to get him home he was 
so in the spirit. It was the wildest thing, and it triggered all of my panic and fear and scary and kind of angry, and the Lord just was like healing me. He was working me through this. He's like, okay, but I'm good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're good. I know you're good. She's like, okay, do you trust me? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> but he did. He did a lot of healing through that move, and it was, I got a lot of freedom in that. Um, much different now, still lingers there's some still ouchy bits that are that are there that every now and then will get triggered in a way. And if you've ever talked to me <laughs> and this has come up, you've gone probably gone, whoa, okay, you've got some opinions <laughs> about that one. I do. So anyway, back to scripture. That's some of the story. Enough of that. I did that. That's over. Yay. Okay, uh, Genesis 49, 8. This is when um Jacob is blessing his sons before he dies. And I'm specifically reading the blessing he spoke over Judah. Judah, you who are you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is the lion's whelp from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall the obedience be, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine and his choice, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine. And his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine. And his teeth whiter than milk. With this question that the Lord has asked me. Are you willing to let me pour out my wine? I keep seeing him with his robes washed in wine. And stained by blood. And my heart trembles. Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. I, as I've wrestled with the Lord about this question, I've been asking him, why am I so uncomfortable with him pouring out his wine when I've experienced a move of it and received great freedom and healing in it? And yes, I have 
family baggage. Um, I remember the freedom and the joy and the healing of that movement. He gave me a lot of freedom from that anger. And while I remember it with gratitude and see it as really part of my story, a real kind of pivotal place of my testimony of what he has done for me, I do have pause for what he is asking me in this moment. And I, I feel the soberness of it. Revelation 14, 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine and of the wrath of her fornication. And then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on their hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which has poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat in the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he said, So he sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for the grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles, for 1,600 furloughs. I don't have this all figured out. <laughs> and I feel kind of weak and shaky, but I see how um, that this pause in me when he asks me that question, this is reluctance. It really feels a lack of faith. My false accusation against him uh, my pride at resisting anything that he does could be wholly loving and good for thinking that anything he does could, could be anything other but wholly loving and good. And as I repent, he uses this discomfort to correct me toward him. Am I willing to let him pour out his wine? I want to be willing. 
The very fact that he so gently asked me shows how kind and how patient he is. He wants to draw us into agreement with him. Um, this is a choosing of which wine we will partake in. His or the wine of the world, which is delusion and confusion and which follows man's self-leadership. In Psalm 61, um, O God, you have cast us off and you've broken us down. You have been displeased. O restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You've shown your people hard things, and you have made us drink the wine of confusion. You've given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That you love that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. Wine is confusing the mind. It's confusing to the mind in this, especially if that's the point of it in this passage. We choose not his leadership, and then there's this confusion. During um, Tom's teaching series, Prophetic Destiny of Israel, last week, which had been week five, um, in his notes, there was this prophetic word that in 2024, there would be an expression of unity in the church the world has literally never witnessed before. God won't make anyone choose it. He will bless it, though. I see this connected to what the Lord is asking me, that if I'm willing to let him pour out his wine. He won't make me choose it, but he is inviting me and anyone else who hears this to choose his outpouring. Um, Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works declare that your name is near. When I choose the proper time, I will judge uprightly. The earth and all its inhabitants are dissolved. I said of its pillars firmly, Selah. I said to the boastful, do not deal boastfully. And to the wicked, do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. And the wine is red, it is fully mixed, and he pours it out. Surely its dregs shall all surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. But I will declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will also cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. I choose to come and just serve this place, to praise him and worship him and recognize my need and let him meet it. Because in the prayer room, wine that is judgment is also joy. Joy that he's doing everything for my good, that he can. Everything that he is willing, he's willing to do everything for my good. Blessed, or uh, Psalm 104, I'm going to spend just a tiny a little bit more time in 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light 
as with a garment who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. This is what, uh, this is where I begin to have breakthrough personally. So I'm just going to share it. I'm just being raw here. Um, When I start looking at the Lord and his majesty and his goodness and what he has done, then I start my whole little focus thing on my own fears and my own whatever that's getting in the way. Um, It becomes focused on him. And then suddenly it just, everything sort of shifts. And that thing that seemed so hard and scary and giving me pause and causing me to tremble, it is less noisy. And then um, I can feel his joy and his peace and his promise and his faithfulness and his goodness. But it takes looking at him. So um, I'm going to go there. Nope. I have some bits on here, and then I paraphrase, but I wanted to add a little bit more. <laughs> Putting back the scripture in. Sorry. Um, Stretched out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chamber in the waters, makes the clouds his chariots, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundation of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. The voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You've set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. So that first part is just his majesty brightness and then it talks about the heavens and then the part I just read which oops, no that's the back three six one two three four five so and then the foundations of the earth and then the waters and then the vegetation which is this next bit nope I'm skipping over that that's the waters he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation For the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine that makes glad the heart of a man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, and the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, where the birds make their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats, and the cliffs are refuge for rock badgers. I can't help reading about the cedars of Lebanon without thinking about the Lord building his, his temple. And then next it talks about the moon and sun and seasons and appointed times. And then it goes into a section about all living things and the provisions and his presence for all. So I'll read that bit. Hmm? Oh Lord, how manifest manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea, which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There are the ships that sail about. There is the Leviathan, which you have made to play there. These all wait for you. 
that you may give them their food in due season. Here's his provision. That you may give them their gathering in. You open their hand. They are filled with good. You hide your face and they are troubled. You take away their breath and they die and return to the dust. Even the very breath. You send forth your spirit and they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. And he touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I'll be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. So this is the template. This is, like I said, where I began to have breakthrough. Um, Speaking the truth of who he is and what he has done in a heart full of gratitude, reminding ourselves of the testimony of Jesus and singing to him in praise and adoration. I'm going to read excerpts from Song of Solomon. In 1-2, he says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. And 4-10, How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse? How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfumes than all spices? 5-11, I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I have gathered my myrrh and my spices, have eaten my honeycomb with my milk, or my honeycomb with... (laughs) With my honey, I've drunk my wine with my milk. And seven, nine, and the roof of your mouth like the best wine. The wine goes down smoothly for my beloved, moving gently the lips of sleepers. I'm my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Come, my beloved, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early in the vineyards. Let us see the vine has budded, if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. And there I will give you my love. Over and over the song repeats that love is better than wine. And the imagery of the mouth is that picture of worship and praise coming forth from that place of love, that place of intimacy. Luke 5, 36. Then he spoke a parable to them. Noah puts a piece, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. I've been praying about this <laughs> in the prayer room, and uh, all these things have been stirred up in me. And one morning in prayer, after I prayed about this, Tom prophetically saying, give vent to the pressure on this wineskin at Light Hop. He's about to open up the heavens. It's a good wine. There's a bowl in heaven that's about to be poured out. Don't be afraid of his spirit, just afraid of how you see it. He's about to fix something big in the way that you wouldn't. John 2, 1. This is the wedding in Canaan. 
On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were there are six water pots of stone, according to the matter of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, and you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. There's really so much in this, but I wanted to just call attention to the fact that these water pots were used for purification, that they were full of water, and then it was made into wine and it was the best saved for last. Best wine was saved for last. That the people in this story, the servants, were told whatever he says to you, do it. And they did. And they were the ones who knew what was going on. When others were confused, they didn't know. But the servants knew. The ones who drew the water knew. Or not the water at that point. Wine at a wedding the beginning of signs. There is a lot coming together in this hour. The bride is being prepared for her groom. The wedding guests are being invited. Um, That's one of the things that uh, many times I'll pick up on things that are being prayed in the prayer room. That's the one that really struck me is that I keep hearing us praying that the invitation would go out. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Now is the time to choose to let him pour out. Maybe for you, the idea of his pouring out his wine sounds super, and it's not at all a struggle for you. My challenge would be to ask you, what outpouring would be a challenge? Because if the answer for me is that if he pours it out, it is good, and it is something he is giving us, and we need it, and he is good, then any outpouring he pours out, whether it's water, how about rain, or take the way we describe water, torrents, rivers, floods, What about wind, threshing breezes, gales, hurricanes? What about fire, consuming, raging? You know, I mean, for me, I've already explained why the wine one is a trigger, but do you have a place in your heart that's like, 
my friend from long ago, anything but that, right? If it's the Lord, it's good, and we can trust him. I really like what came out during the worship, specifically that repentance is a bridge that brings us to you, and you get us out of it. It's not transactional. Right here in this place, what we're doing day in and day out, looking at him, sharing what we see, crying, holy, 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 listening to what others are seeing, knowing in part and seeing in part, and responding, worthy, 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 beholding in a mirror dimly, letting what he shows us about himself and about ourselves change us, seeing our need in his provision, learning how to see rightly, That is the part in between the wine of his wrath and the wine of his love and joy. It's both great and terrible simultaneously. But can I see it? Can I ask to see it? Will I choose to ask? Am I willing to let him pour out his wine? I want to be. So Lord... I'm asking um, to be willing to let you pour out your wine. I don't want to, I don't want to hinder you or redefine you or put you in a box or describe you or in some way reject you. If you want to do a thing, I want to agree with it. I admit before you that I stumble on some of the judgments that I can see your goodness in some of them and in others, I just struggle to see your goodness. But you don't change. It's my vision that needs to change. So Lord, I'm asking um, to be willing. I'm asking to not delay in making the choice to let you do what you want to do, to come into agreement with what you want to do, to set aside my own ideas about what things look like, what they should look like, what they have looked like, and just let you do what you're going to do. Lord, anywhere I am holding back, anywhere that I'm letting that pause, pause me right out of your kingdom, Lord, I'm asking that you just draw me back in. Lord, I, I just... I surrender, like we were singing early. I surrender, Lord. Come and have your way. This is your place. I thank you for it. You have a really good plan to get me where I need to be to be able to see you better. I just, I just want to see you. Help us to see you. Amen.